Hello and welcome everybody to this week's Dev Central Connects. My name is Boo, your host today. I'm one of the community evangelists on the F5 Dev Central team. Dev Central is supported by community.f5.com. So if you head over there, you'll find our message forums. You can ask questions about F5 technologies. You can ask questions about any technology. You can ask questions that you would ask actually to ChatGPT and then post your answer or that you get from ChatGPT into the message forums. We'll actually be talking about some of that today in our in our AI talk, AI for troubleshooting talk that we'll have or conversation that we'll have. You can also head over to community.f5.com to check out what events are happening as well. So there's a number of F5 user groups that are spinning up again. You know, we're, we're, we've got a whole bunch of them that are in person that you can attend. There's been ones in Texas. I think that was last week. I should have actually just pulled it up there right now. But, you know, off the top of my head, there's one in Las Vegas doing some top golf. So interesting ways to connect with the community. Um, share your experiences, learn some new things and meet some new people. Would love to, speaking of meeting new people, would love to hear from you. If you're watching right now, you can, this is live, so you can leave some comments in the chat. Would love to know where you're watching from or listening from right now. We've got Aubrey here pulling his comment up. Hola, Communidad. All right. Hello to Aubrey. And we've got Jose here. Hello, Jose. Good to see you. Who else have we got here? Scott, always lovely to hear from Scott over in Victoria, BC. I'm in Canada. So if for folks who don't know that, I'm in Vancouver, Canada. So just a little boat ride away from Scott. Who else do we got here in the chat? We got Daniel Wolf. Daniel, we are going to be talking about your recent thread on community.f5.com, actually, your ChatGPT thread. So hang tight for that. And uh, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> my name is... My name is Wolf. I solve problems with the help of ChatGPT. We're going to definitely talk about that. And we've got Ahmed from Egypt, actually. Hello, Ahmed. Thanks for, thanks for joining us today. So we are going to be talking about AI today. We're going to be talking about how that applies to troubleshooting, but we could talk about AI in general too. If you have any scenarios where you've used AI to help you in your everyday job as a technologist would love to hear from you just drop that kind of stuff in the chat or you can start a thread on community.f5.com as well and we can chat about it on there but my two guests that i have on today shay and kyle from a company called run when that they've started up so they have great backgrounds all across the board in terms of helping customers thrive when it comes to technologies whether that's from providing product itself or providing services to get that technology up and running. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with them. So I'm just going to take a short five second break here and I'll be back with Kyle and Shay. Hey guys, great to have you on. For the folks who haven't met you before, Shay, I think we've actually chatted on live stream maybe once or twice at this point, but maybe I'll go around the squares here. Kyle, if you want to introduce yourself. Oh, sure. My name is Kyle Forster. I'm a uh, founder of RunWen. Before RunWen, I had a one of the two product management teams for Kubernetes at Google. Fantastic. Before that, I was founder of a company called Big Switch, one of the early companies in software-defined networking. Yeah, that's awesome. We have a lot of NetOps folks in our audience, so I'm sure they'll all be familiar with Big Switch. So awesome to have you on. Thanks for joining me. Shay, what, uh, can you introduce yourself? Sure. So my name is Shay Stewart. I've been working with Kyle for the last couple of years on the Runwen sort of idea product. Before that, I had built a company called Arctic in Canada. They were like a DevOps consultancy is what we ended up sort of 
getting put into, but doing a lot of Kubernetes and, and, and OpenShift related platform deployments. And that's actually where Kyle and I met because Kyle was working at Google. We were doing a number of Google and, and those related deployments. And if you go way back in my history, I'm actually started in the networking side as well. So I, I worked for a company called Infonet, which was acquired by British Telecom as well. So that was sort of my first sort of career paid job, you know, 20, 20 some years ago. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, very cool. So we are going to be chatting about AI today. I think it's a super hot topic. You know, when we were at RSA even last week, so myself and Aubrey were out at RSA. If folks aren't following us already, you can check out all the content that we put out across our LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and, and whatnot. But the star of the show, as far as topics, was generative AI and how that's going to affect things in security. You know, there's some questions I was asking folks as far as do you trust the code that comes out of ChatGPT if you were to pose it a question. And one of the examples that I bring up is actually, so Daniel Wolf here, who's in the audience right now, he, he posted a thread on community.f5.com where he actually posed 10 scenarios to ChatGPT, asked it to create iRules for folks who aren't familiar with F5. We have our platform called Big IP. We have a couple platforms actually at this point, but our main platform, Big IP, you have a data plane scripting language called iRules. You can solve interesting problems with it. He posed 10 questions to it or 10 scenarios to it. And ChatGPT got through the first five or so. And then when it got through six through 10, it started getting a little bit squirrely as far as what it was coming up with. And, you know, it started making up some commands that don't necessarily exist. However, it was pretty interesting how it came to those conclusions. And so it's interesting to see whether we can trust ChatGPT or not. So when it comes to maybe troubleshooting, I don't know what your guys' perspective is. Is that something that we can rely on? Or what's your guys' experience so far? Actually, I'll leave it a little bit more open-ended for that. Kyle and I will probably come at this from very different points of view. I would say, from my own experience, I'm going to put on a certain persona for you to sort of show you kind of where I am, where I am in this product world. I'm an infrastructure engineer. That's kind of my you know senior infrastructure engineer, junior developer. That would be how I would equate my sort of skill set when I'm dealing with what you think of as traditional development or software development languages. And so I guess to your question of, do I trust? Do I trust it? It's broad. I don't trust anything without looking at it or testing it, right? That's why we have test platforms. That's why we have CI/CD pipelines. I have used it and I do use it daily as a pair programmer. It helps me get started, um, but I also use it for generating readmes and I help it to explain things. Actually, I've actually found that incredibly, incredibly helpful to take a snippet of code that I don't understand and just give me a quick synopsis so that I can follow it a little faster without tracing it. I find that to be useful, but it's, it's kind of like we're, we're saying today, I solve problems, as Dan Wolf said, you know, I solve problems with the help of ChatGPT. Like, Six months ago, I still solved problems with the help of Google, and I did that really well for for twenty for twenty years, right? Yeah. I feel like there's a a human context that that is still needs to be applied to the problem. And when I'm solving problems with the help of it, and it's writing me some sort of code and function, it takes me maybe six or seven sort of iterations to kind of further my request and for me to become a better, they're calling now prompt engineer, but for me to act. Rubber duck programming method of, of better articulating my problem to something else so that it can actually generate the right result. But I've had fairly reasonable success the more time I spent with it. I was frustrated early on and kind of laughed at it. I think I was a bit 
my ego was getting in the way. I'm like, yeah, you don't know what this is. Come on. But it's also learning a lot faster, I think, than we would have anticipated. It seems to be getting better, right? So all of the feedback that it's getting seems to improve its responses. And I'm fairly impressed with what it's able to generate based off of my desire, but I'm using it to serve a human's outcome for troubleshooting tasks so that other people don't have to use it in the same way I am. So it's kind of a means to an end. If that, if that makes any sort of any sense, it's, it's not the end. It's just a means to the end. Yeah. But you know, with my own code testing, it's been fairly useful and it's definitely positively affected my output for things that I didn't need to spend time sort of finessing, if that makes sense. Yeah. But that's from my day to day. I'm trying to write code that other people can use. I'm not necessarily trying to write product code specifically, or I'm not even doing what Kyle's doing with, with his experience. And now he's been playing a lot more with the different models than I have over the last few months. So maybe Kyle, you've, maybe you've got a different sort of experience you can lend. Yeah, I think on the personal coding side, very, very, very similar. I, the exact same. I think as far as you know, when we look at the product that we're building, I mean, if you think about it, when, when Shay and I first started prototyping the ideas that, that, that became run when, uh, our goal was, can we connect, generally connect alerts or connect sort of random events that would occur in large scale systems to troubleshooting scripts. But, and we came at this because if Shay and I were working together on some of Google's largest Kubernetes clients, and you know, on the one hand, we we're looking at what the internal teams were doing. And on the other hand, we we're looking at what these very, very large enterprise and government clients were doing. And we kept saying, wow, if we could just meet these two in the middle, we'd have something really powerful for everybody. And you know, from the very beginning, we were playing with NLP libraries. From the very beginning, we were playing with machine learning techniques, but always with this assumption that over time, so many people would be using our platform that we'd have this really interesting data set of, hey, this troubleshooting script works, this troubleshooting script doesn't, this troubleshooting script gets real, used really, really often and comes to good conclusions. This troubleshooting script gets used really often, but doesn't come to very useful conclusions. So we could use a combination of NLP and machine learning on our own data to glean really, really interesting insights and useful troubleshooting. But we had this funny moment I mean, a couple of months ago now where we were talking and as you know, we were both playing with ChatGPT, we're just like, gosh, we're so nervous that somebody's gonna take this vision that we have that we think we've always thought, we said, hey, look, we're a couple of years away from that. Well, we're working our way towards that. And they're going to somehow figure out how to use this and they're going to get to our roadmap before we do. And that's really scary when you're sitting there, we're like just getting a business started and thinking, my gosh, we could get disrupted and somebody could come up tomorrow with where we think we're going to be with like, you know, at the pace of our community data in, you know, a year and a half to two years. We started playing with it. And that for, at least for me, was the big aha moment that in very early tries, we successfully pulled in features that we thought we would be building in 2025. And we started on the data set that we have today. And that was stunning. I mean, that the ability to, you know, we still require the NLP techniques. We still require the machine learning techniques that we were looking at earlier. But the way that we can use this to bootstrap a gigantic data set was stunning. Absolutely stunning. And work. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. So you're finding at this point, this is accelerating your business. I would say we, we are... We are right now doing the user interface of this sprint for features that I thought we would be building in mid to late 2025. And we are mm -hmm. doing that this, like in, the, in May. 
I wanted to add to that a little bit though. It's not like it's writing the product for us. So it's not, that's not exactly how, how we're, we're using it. And our product isn't hinged on it, right? I think that's one important thing that, that Kyle and I often talk about is, you know, you can't be at the volatility of where this is going right now, because a lot of things are going to show up and a lot of things are going to go away very quickly. Our, the, the, the platform that's, that we built started in the SRE space, but needed to get closer to the developer or closer to the platform engineer before it delivered all the rest of the benefits. And I, I think what it's added is combination of the data and the context that we have about people's environments added in with generative AI allows you to filter and provide recommended results. And so, so it's not writing code in, in this way and, build, and building features. What it's actually doing is getting you to faster resolution time because of that level of sort of filtering and the language context that we can feed in information that we already have, alerts or names or objects within certain sort of distance to each other. It can help make recommendations. And then I think, you know, the way we're looking at it is it's your, it's your pair troubleshooter. It's, it's your, you know, your, your digital assistant, I think Kyle's calling it right now. It, it's like you're troubleshooting something with somebody else, but it's coming up with suggested commands. And those suggested commands are not it actually generating them. They're coming from the data set of still experts. So people like me who are saying, ChatGPT, I think like, here's kind of what I want. And I'm going through six or seven iterations of it to get down to that one line of code that's just going to give you the information that you want. And that one line command that the person needs right now to show you where in your entire cluster storage is failing or, or something like that. Like that's an example. It's still being written and, and formulated those types of problems from the real engineering field. It's just got all the context to say, well, I've got all of these options of things you could do based off that the most intelligent ones. I'm going to, I'm going to reduce that subset and then I'm going to run some of them for you and collect the information. So this, this assistant to troubleshooting, I think is kind of where we're headed, but it's not, we definitely wanted to get there down the road and that's definitely gone faster, but it's not writing the code for us. It's, it's really just helping the user get through their journey faster. Right. I think that's mm -hmm. kind of the, the goal for us. I think that's, mm -hmm. you know, Sarbjit is along, thinking along the same lines as you. I believe logs will be the thought of the age of large language models. And the meantime, the resolution will yes. go down. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Think right just like, like our rules example. I mean, we tried, we tried. It wasn't for like a trying. We tried very, very, very hard to see if we can make LLMs. And even before LLMs, we we're trying other techniques to see if we could automatically generate these troubleshooting scripts. Mm. And over and over, they just weren't very insightful. I mean, compared mm. to what an expert can write, you know, somebody who really knows how to troubleshoot Nginx can just write much better troubleshooting, much, much better troubleshooting scripts in a fraction of the time than generative AI or any of the pre-gen AI scripts that we're looking at. However, when it comes to, hey, I have 10,000 scripts to choose from, which is most relevant to me right now, that's where this thing shines. <laughs> and it did extraordinarily, I mean, extraordinarily well and work that would have taken us you know, several billion records of, of, of data we can do on you know, many orders of magnitude less than that. Um, I, I do think as we look at how LLMs, look, LLMs are going to change, I think, a lot of consumer behavior. There's no doubt about that, right? I think there's there going to be a lot of roles in consumer products. But as we look in specifically enterprise infrastructure products, 
I do think that what we'll see is this blossoming of things that look a little bit like search engines, things that look a little bit like recommendation engines. You still need really interesting insights to search over, and you still need really interesting features to recommend. But the ability to build that search engine and the ability to build that recommendation engine in the world of in, in the world of LLMs is completely, completely different than it was. The, the cost of development of that many orders of magnitude lower than it was six months ago. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I would say, let's see, actually, let's just double check. We have one more here. LLMs are best at contextual proximity and troubleshooting is all about finding related events. I guess so. Fact. Our belief is that there can be a community of generated scripts with the context of, you know, run one builds a map of all of your infrastructure and, and has context about where things are in proximity to each other, how they're related to each other, or alerts or types of other events that may be firing off. It, you know, the better I've gotten with ChatGPT specifically is the better prompt that I give it. And so the more data that we can feed with the right type of context that Runman's got about the issue going on, the better the response, the better the filter. And then we still need the human at the end to sort of, you know, make the call. At some point in the future, we'll go to fully automated remediation. And I'm not saying that's a product thing. That's a, that's a comfort thing. But for today, it's about getting to a faster time to repair and a faster time to identify. That, and that faster time to identify, I think, is also as important as faster time to repair because it's kind of the first step in the journey. And if you have four or five or 10 alerts firing off, just identifying where the root cause is or where the problem is, I think that context and using the LLM to help surface that is going to be really, really key. Mm. Yeah. And maybe we can, you know, and, and this might get into you guys telling us a little bit more about RunWin, but personally, you know, I, I don't run Kubernetes, like in my own Kubernetes, huge Kubernetes infrastructure or anything. I have my little lab with my Intel NUC and whatnot. And we have it, I have it connected to F5 distributed cloud. So when I'm going through and I'm troubleshooting, I'm, I'm looking in all these different spots and I'm trying to figure out in my head, you know, how do these logs fit together? Like this is telling me this, and then this is telling me this, and then my, my container isn't coming up or whatnot. And so I can't imagine myself getting into a, a huge environment where I have pods all over the place, clusters all over the place, and trying to make sense of all of this stuff. And, and you guys probably saw maybe some of this in real world scenarios with bigger environments as well and, and saw a need to fix it. And that, that's where we work the closest. I mean, she was constantly parasitting into these gigantic, gigantic infrastructures of thousands of microservices and, you know, the, then the system just wasn't staying up and the, the and my product ultimately was kind of like on the hook right behind me. It, I think that, you know, the, this entire idea of of finding related things and finding proximity. I, I, I know Subjit used, used the term back to Ellen's rather troubleshooting, but figuring out where you are in the system and what options you have near where you currently are in the system and what's going wrong near where you are in the system. And then trying to decide, okay, is, are any of the options that I have at this particular place in the system relevant to solving this problem? Or do I need to change my location to some other part of the system? Or do I need to change my location to some other part of the system again? We saw that not only in the process of individuals troubleshooting, like real, like super experts, like, like Shay and the entire team that he was leading that could span huge amounts. But we also saw that in the context of, with a lot of clients, hey, I, maybe my set of services are the problem, but maybe the 
actually one of my dependencies on some other team that's actually the root cause. And what we saw over and over again was these troubleshooting pathways that traverse many parts of the system, but also many parts of the organization. And with distributed teams, you'd get some team like kind of come to the end of their troubleshooting session and say, hey, I'm blocked because this other team doesn't get into the office for another five hours. Hey, I'm troubleshooting, I'm troubleshooting. Oh, and I'm blocked again. And I, since I can't troubleshoot any of their stuff, I'm just sitting there waiting for them to wake up. And I might as well I'm just take a snow day. And you don't even need to get very large. By the time you hit sort of 20 or 30 microservices and even seven or eight people across a couple of different time zones, these problems really show up very heavily. So I think part of the run one concept was also, hey, how can we, how can we help? Hey, I know my part of the system and my part of the system is not doing what I expect. I may have some external expertise outside of the run one system to troubleshoot this thing or the run one system in our digital system can really help me troubleshoot my own. Good. But even better is, hey, I'm dependent on some other part of the system that may or may not be the problem. And that team doesn't wake up and get in the office for another couple of hours. So can I do something that they've approved that they're okay with and make a ton of troubleshooting progress before they're even in? And when they are in, maybe I found the root cause it was their system. Maybe they weren't even relevant. Maybe it's some other service, completely unexpected, that turns out to be four hours behind me and I only have 30 minutes before they all leave the office. So that's where I think the systems for us get really, really, really interesting. Can you troubleshoot not only your own part of these large scale systems, but can you troubleshoot your colleagues' parts of the system when they're not around? And then when they are around, if you need extra help, can you come to them with a really beautiful troubleshooting report? that just shows, hey, here are all the things I tried, here are all the things that I think it might be, here are the things that I can prove that it, it wasn't, without really knowing, you know, I don't need to know my colleague's systems in amazing depth to be able to be really, really efficient there. And I think if we can unlock that, then we've unlocked a really beautiful thing for teamwork. Because the sheer number of times we saw, even in medium-sized build-outs, teams just say, hey, I'm, my stuff is down, not for yeah, the day. The platform's not reliable, right? That's been a, a big, you know, the platform's not working. The platform's not working. It's like, well, is, is that the root cause? And I think that's, if if you give those tools to everybody in the same visualization with safety and they don't have to know your commands and they can come back with that troubleshooting report, they can do their own validation. I think that's incredibly powerful. Um, and then really suss out the root cause. I mean, GitHub had some issues this morning and, you know, when you're trying to look way up the stack, that's the time when it's time for me to go take the dog for a walk, right? And, and that's largely because we're a GitOps-driven organization. So it's like no change that I can make. If I can't commit, I, I, can't, I can't test in, in one of my environments. But that radically changes whether or not I'm start, starting to troubleshoot my own components or not. Just by having that visualization or having that notice, that level of cross-system introspection I think is incredibly powerful. It also helps people learn about the system. And I think that's a side benefit. It's just training new people, right? If we hmm. think about onboarding a, a sort of a support team, right? I've seen this in a lot of organizations where you still have the platform team, but then you still have your, what they would largely call a traditional operations team who really weren't, the whole team wasn't consulted in the design and implementation of this other thing that were really just kind of handed this thing to support afterwards. And, and I'm sure Boo, you and I have seen it. I know Kyle has seen it where if they're on the 24 by seven support call, we'll get, they're just 
they're basically just looking up a phone list in the middle of the night yeah. because they're not, they don't, they don't have the context of the system. They don't have access to the tools. They don't have the training. And in onboarding new people, that team, it's really hard in Kubernetes environments. I mean, the reality is all Kubernetes did, it, and I love it. it. It's, it's, I've loved working in it for many, many years but it just allowed us to deploy many more complex things a lot faster without actually having the operational sort of guardrails that we probably would have required to deploy something. Like that's just, it just, we just deploy everything faster. It, things break faster when you deploy them faster. That's just a, the bottom line of it. And if you can give a new team who has to onboard a GitLab implementation or something like that, which is a relatively complex implementation, you can give them tools and they can visualize and share in the same experience as the people who deployed it. I think that just closes the gap of, of, of learning and also fumbling through the, through the troubleshooting process and allows the communication to get a lot better between teams. Mm. Yeah, that may, I mean, that makes a lot of sense in that, you know, when you just talked about the speed. And so the business is now getting more and more used to this pace of more features coming out. And then all of a sudden you have this compounding problem that once the shoe drops and there is a problem, then you have all these. I, I remember being on pager duty earlier on in my career. And yeah, it was very much like I just had to emails down. I got to look up the, you know, there's a second tier of email because I don't have access to the email servers. It was Lotus mm -hmm. Notes at the time too. Yeah. And so Domino. I don't have access to Lotus. Yeah. They, they don't give me access to Domino. And so mm -hmm. I've got to find who the email guy that's going to be on call would be. And so, you know, I'm just triaging stuff and, and trying to find, you know, who to call next. But, but yeah, having a little bit of access would have been nice. And maybe I would save that person a call. And, but yeah, you know, you guys are advancing that. Well, finding out what is not the problem is as important as finding out what is the problem, right? It, it narrows that down. And even if you can say, we always check these five things, like I'll say that just putting a status page in front of it isn't going to help. Right. And it will to a certain degree, but there's a, there's this guy that writes the, or, or authors the, the slight reliability podcast, Stephen Townshend, and he had somebody on and they were talking about status pages and, and in a study that they did, the best sort of window of notification to an outage or an incident was roughly 20 minutes. And that's actually considerably really good for a complex environment. The longest one was three to four hours. Hmm. And so just saying, go to my status page to check first before you open a ticket in an internal system or internal service isn't really going to help yet because status page may not have picked up on the issue or there may be a human involved in the status page update chain, which I've, I've witnessed a lot of. But if you give them five or six scripts in a safe way that they can run, view the output and share that output with somebody else, then you can both learn about that system, but you can also just negate that from your troubleshooting flow and start to focus on other areas. Yeah, totally. Makes a lot of sense. We're running up on time here. I would love to be able to direct people to where they can find out a little bit more about the RunWin platform though. Like the little bit that you showed me, really visual and it helped people, you know, map, map out where they need to look for stuff. So, you know, where would you send people? So if you go to runwin.com or docs.runwin.com, you'll find links to some of our YouTube channels and, and documentation. I, I will also say there is currently some visualization uh, rewrite going on at this moment in time. So in about three to four weeks, the videos may start to look a little different, but not entirely different, just slightly different. And we're also releasing some tooling very shortly for 
the local developer that never really needs to connect with the run one environment. This is again, all about just having like ready to copy and paste Kubernetes commands that are used for troubleshooting your environment at your fingertips. And, and we're excited to release that and get feedback from the community about whether it's helpful, how to improve it. It's just a container that you run and it's from the safety of your laptop. So that's all going to be coming out within the next couple of weeks. But yeah, runone.com or docs.runone.com. And there are YouTube links and GitHub repo links and all sorts of goodness there. You can look at all the scripts we're writing. Oh, fantastic. Kyle, any cool. other resources you'd throw out there? I think that's, that's about all of them. I think those are the two to start. And then we have those both linked to some samples that we have, for, both that we've written and that increasingly some of our community members are writing for, hey, I'm an expert in open source project X, here are the 10 things that I do to troubleshoot it. And when I'm troubleshooting these, here's what I, but runone.com is a perfect place to start. I think Shay, yes, docs.runone.com is a second place to start. And then both of those link to our community samples. Fantastic. I think it's awesome that you guys are solving a pretty good problem in, in this world. I'm going to create a show thread about the show today with a link to this, as well as links to all of the things that you guys mentioned as well. So everybody, if you just visit community.f5.com and head over into the Dev Central Connect section, you'll find all that. So thank you very much, Kyle and Shay, and I'll leave your contact info in that thread as well. But thanks for joining me today. Awesome. I'll bring you guys backstage and I'll talk to you guys in a sec, but I'll have some closing thoughts as well. So I'll see you guys in a sec. Thanks for having us on, Drew. Thank you. Alrighty. Love talking to those guys. I, again, I'm going to have a show thread with all of that info on there. I'm going to remind folks as well, if you might be watching us live from YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter right now. If you haven't hit subscribe already, please do hit like if you can. Leave a comment if you'd like to as well. Also, you might be finding us via audio podcast. And if you haven't already, just know that we're on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast. Hit subscribe on those. Leave us a five-star review if you can. We'd love to see some of those as well. It definitely helps us out. And then one more thing. Next week, make sure you're subscribed to the Dev Central YouTube. Next week, I'll actually be in Toronto. I didn't mention this to Shay because Shay is actually out in Ontario, but I'll actually be in Toronto for Cube Huddle, smaller Kubernetes event out there. So I'll be out there with my camera, creating some content. A bunch of F5ers will be out there. So that should be a fun time. So thank you for everybody for watching us today and we will see you on the next one. Bye for now.